Did you know, when you are entering Disneyland, that you are literally entering a whole new world? How many many of you have experienced a whole new world when you enter Disneyland? Like, wow, I thought it was just a song, but it's an actual reality. This is a whole different world. It's a small world. It's a very creepy world in some parts of that world. I will never be able to sleep the same way. Um, Yes, but actually, according to the Disney employee manual... This experience is supposed to be as real and literal as possible. They want you to be swept into a whole new world. As a matter of fact, Disney places very tight and extensive regulations in their employee handbook, and they have these very distinctive marks of a Disney employee. Listen to some of these things. For, for one, the, one of their regulations and rules that they set up for their employees is you must stay in your world at all times. You must always be in character. So, so for example, if you're Peter Pan, you don't know what an iPhone is. You, you, if you're Peter Pan, you probably don't know what gum is. If you're Peter Pan, you don't know who the Jonas Brothers are. I know. Crushing to some of you. How can you live, Peter Pan? Never mind. I'll tell you when you're older. Uh, If you... Yeah. (laughs) So anyway. And then the reason for this is is clear. That you have a very high calling. You're a Disney employee. People have come from miles, maybe even continents, just to see you. And kids, they believe it's all true. And if you are the one that ruins it for them, so help me. Well, I don't know what they would do. Another regulation, you must be a certain height to play your role. You must actually physically meet the qualifications. For example, if you are a woman and you want to play a princess and you happen to be six foot one like my sister, sorry, you can't be a princess. You have to be between five foot four and five foot eight. Anybody between those two heights? Sorry. Uh, yeah. Don't worry, Julia, there is a place for you. If you are between 4'11 and 5'2, oh. There is no place for you. you. You can't even play Alice or Wendy. Anyway, all right. So uh, you also have to be fully and nat- you have to you have to fully and naturally look the part. For example, your hair has to be a natural color. Like you you can't you can't dye your hair blonde. You have to actually have natural hair color or make it look natural. I suppose, um, guys, you can't have hair over your ears. Ladies, your fingernails can't be longer than your fingers. You can't have um, um, non non neutral colors. And and why is this? Once again, it's because Disney, that mother company, in its mercy. And its grace has allowed you to come into the kingdom and be one of the few employees that can say, I work for Disney. <laughs> yeah. Another, another regulation. Um, you can only have one name. So, for example, if you're walking around Disney, I read this on Reader's Digest, it has to be true. If you're walking around Disneyland, you, you'll see people with nameplates, but they only have one nameplate. They don't have initials. Everybody's Sam or David or Mickey or Walt. There are no misters or misses at Disneyland, right? As a matter of fact, everybody has to have 
uh, one name and nobody can have double names. So if you come and I'm a David and, and you come as a David and you're like, hey, my name is David. Sorry, I was here first. Find a new name and put that on your nameplate. Everybody has to have their own name and you only go by that no name, that one name. Um, you must never point one finger because some people may find that offensive. So you point with two or you point with the whole hand like this. Just watch next time you're at Disneyland. Um, you must, this is in the, the, every employee is contractually obligated to, if they ever see trash laying around, to pick it up. Disney had a, had a pet peeve and it was trash everywhere, so he made it a, a regulation. As a matter of fact, you can't just squat and pick it up either. You have to do this thing called the swoop and scoop. So I don't know what that would look like, but it doesn't look like this, because that looks weird. It's more like... But anyway, yeah, there's more regulations here. I'll, I'll go through them very quickly. You never can say, I don't know. You can always say, I know someone who knows. Um, oh, this is kind of funny. I found this funny. You have to speak in code about a few things. For example, if you're ever walking around Disneyland and you hear someone say, code V, code V, guess what that means? That means a kid somewhere has vomited and they need to pick it up. If you ever are walking around Disney and you hear code P, or code U. Oh, never mind. If you are ever walking around Disneyland and you hear code H, guess what that means? That means one of the, what, what? No, no? It's a bad thing. Yes. No, 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 no. It means, what? Well, uh, one more, one more, yes. No, no, no. People don't struggle with hypothermia in South, uh, South California, Southern California. Um, it means one of those beautiful, enchanting parade horses just went to the bathroom on the parade route. That's what it means. Um, if you are an employee for Disney, you must receive autograph training. Your character has a certain way of writing his name, and you can't just write it any old way. Um, if you are in full costume, like Mickey or Minnie or Donald, not, notice I didn't say Donald Duck, uh, or the Beast, um, you can't speak. Never notice how they're silent? They, they don't speak. But most importantly, if you work for Disney, the number one thing that you must do is, or, or maybe I'll say it this way, you are not an employee. If you work for Disney, you are not an employee. You are, get this, a what? A, ca a cast member. You are a cast member. You are playing a role, and the whole park is your stage. Matter of fact, it's not just the characters that are called cast members. In the employee handbook, or, or should I say cast member handbook, it says even the custodian, even the, the girl at the gift shop, she also is a cast member. You are all creating a world. And of course, why is this? Well, you are a part of Disneyland. Disney and its grace and its mercy has called you into its family and you get to represent a whole new world. Matter of fact, this is your honor and your joy to play. Who wants to work at Disneyland when they grow up? Nobody now. Nobody now. Come on. You know you want to say Code H. Uh, uh, so these are the marks of a Disney employee. I mean, I mean, sorry, cast member. Um, and when you look at it, you got to look at it at its big picture, at, at who you are representing and at who you are, who's watching you. And then all these regulations kind of make sense, right? 
So yeah, and everybody will accept this. They'll say, yeah, that's great. I'll totally, hey, if this is what it costs to be a Disney employee, I will do these things. But for some reason, people kind of get a little bit upset when people start saying, Jesus wants you to live a certain way. Jesus wants you to do a certain thing. But if you think about it, if you think about big picture, who you're representing, and who's watching you, your position as a Christian is even more important, more merciful, more gracious than even a Disney employee. But that was kind of my lesson for summer camp. Let's talk about something new. So the theme for our winter retreat is going to be the marks. The marks, the genuine marks of the gospel in your life. So we see what it looks like to be a Disney employee, but what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to be a Christian? You see there in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, you the, the, I stole this title, so it's not mine. If you don't like it, blame the Bible translators. That's not Paul that wrote that. Um, say, Marks of the True Christian, that's what we're going to be studying. And we're going to read right now Romans 9, or sorry, Romans 12, 9 through 21. I'm going to read the entire passage. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, like those Disney regulations, it might be helpful for us before we kind of get into the weeds, so to speak, of this passage, to kind of look at two things. Similar to how if you look at a Disney employee from like a big picture, you understand the reasons. And also, we're going to look at the big picture perspective tonight. As a matter of fact, I've got two goals for tonight. You can just think about these. These will be my two big points. We'll go through them. I want to give you a big picture of the letter of Romans. So you could, you could just plop down here in Romans 12 and you maybe could get a few things. But if you look at the big picture of the letter of Romans, you'll see that there's so much more here. And a matter of fact, you'll see as you go through the entire book of Romans, really quickly, I promise, as we will do, that if you skip out on the rest of the letter, these commands are, these commands are deceptive. So that's the first thing. We're going to look at the big picture from the letter of Romans. And then secondly, I kind of want to give you a uh, kind of a few observations about our passage as a whole. 
So those are, so those are our two big points. So first off, write number one, uh, write big picture, whole letter observations, or just write big picture. What can I learn about from the whole letter of Romans? Well, you'll see there, you don't have to go back too far, you'll see back in 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul is making a transition here. He's, he's transitioning from theology for, uh, for 11 chapters to exhortation, or we would call it application. And we see what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he's making a transition. Therefore, because of all of these things I've just said, because of all these glorious heights of the gospel that you've understood, I have something to tell you. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. Now, all, all of these applications are here because of things. Notice, because of the mercies of God. So underneath your big picture heading, write down a few points. Write down a few minor points here. Uh, point number one, all these applications rest on a few things. First off, as we were to look at the entire letter of Romans, we'd see that we should be overwhelmed by God's mercy towards us in Christ. Write that down. We are overwhelmed. That's what Romans tells us. Be overwhelmed by the mercies you receive in Christ. Right there in chapter 12, verse 1, notice he says, mercies, plural. That is, many, many mercies, manifold, multiple mercies. If you are a Christian here tonight and you are not overwhelmed by the mercies of God, application will not make sense for you. Applying God's Word, obeying Christ will not make sense for you. As a matter of fact, you saw in our passage all of these commands at the beginning of Romans, in Romans 1-3, through 3, um, Paul kind of addresses how much we are in need of mercy. He shows us the depth of our sinfulness. Maybe you're familiar with Romans 3-23, all have sinned fallen short of the glory of God. Well, he says this in, in Romans 1. Romans 1, 31, he talks about people in their sin. They are heartless. That's different than the application we're seeing here. He says in Romans 1, 32, they are approving what is evil. He says in Romans 1, 30, they are God-haters. He says in Romans 1, 30, they are arrogant and boastful. He says in Romans 1, 29, they are full of strife and malice. Basically, before Christ entered your life, you were the very opposite of all of these commands that we see in Romans 12. You need to be overwhelmed by the mercies of God. Why? Because God should justly judge you, send you to hell for eternity because of your standing before Him. Um, another thing we see from the big picture of Romans is, is another thing about God's mercy. You can write this down. Secondly, God's mercy is great in justifying you. If you are a Christian today, another reason to be overwhelmed by the mercies of God is your, your position in Christ is amazing. God is gracious in justifying you. Once again, justification is a legal word which basically pictures this courtroom where a judge declares you righteous or unrighteous and because of Christ's work, because of what He did, you are declared not just sinless, 
but you are declared holy, as if you hold the righteousness of Christ yourself. You are justified. And yet God's mercy is great in justifying you. That's another mercy you look to. Another mercy you think about is God's mercy is great in continually sanctifying you. We see this in Romans 6 through 8. In these chapters, we see that, hey, when you are in Christ, it's not just that you're legally declared righteous. It's not that you legally are not going to suffer anymore for a crime. But in Romans 6 through 8, you see you are not a slave of sin anymore. You don't have to be. Because of God's work in your life through the Holy Spirit, you do not have to serve sin anymore. I'm not saying you're going to be sinless, but I'm saying the power of sin as a slave master is broken because because you are, as it says in 6.18, a slave of righteousness. Another thing we should be overwhelmed by in the mercy of God before Romans 12 is we are overwhelmed with thanksgiving because of God's mercy in choosing us or choosing you. If you are reading through Romans 1, through Romans 8, you're amazed, you're you're overwhelmed by God's mercy to you in justifying and sanctifying you, but then you come to Romans chapter 9 and you come face to face with the reality that you did not choose God. He chose you. Of course, we see here that Paul is working through God's plan in the future for his kingdom plan and the Jews. And of course, you see in, in 11.25-29 through 29 that he, he shows that there is still a future for the kingdom of Israel. But in all this, it is also revealed that God's mercy is on everyone who is saved. Uh, think about it. It's not because of your good works. It's because of God who wills and chooses. You are a grace case this evening if you are before God standing in Christ. Just turn over to Romans 9. Romans 9 verse 10. And Paul's giving an illustration from the Old Testament to show this. Um, Not only so, he says, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. When you read through Romans, you are overwhelmed you are overwhelmed by the, the grace you receive, the grace you don't deserve, the justifying grace you are given, the sanctifying grace you are given, and the very fact that you can come to God at all, you are overwhelmed. But one last thing. We see, we, we see that, that the application here, if you're looking at the entire book of Romans, the ap- application here is fitting. And a matter of fact, he says, I'll read 12 verse 2 for you. He says, because of all these mercies of God, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, um, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And before that, he's saying, he's saying, live lives that are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Another thing you learn by looking at the whole context of Romans is, hey, all of these applications, they're right. 
They're fitting. Do you see that word spiritual there? Spiritual worship. That, that could be translated many different ways. But basically, uh, it's basically Paul saying, hey, this is right. This is what you should do. This is reasonable. This is a right response. When I hear about God's mercy, I want to respond this way. Hey, I want to present my whole life as a living sacrifice to God. Now, now remember that? Remember that? Just, just, just picture Disney in your head. Why are people willing to do these things? Well, because Disney and their love and their grace and their kindness, they let you come into their family. How much more has God in His love and His grace allowed you to come into His family and experience salvation, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, election itself? It is only right that you respond in these applications. It is the only right response. So those are kind of just big pictures. Hey, you are living under the mercies of God and application is only right, is only fitting, is only appropriate. Now let's look at a few passage observations. So this is just me trying to give you kind of a taste and a feel for what we're going to be studying here in Romans 12, 9 through 21. A few passage observations. An observation, by the way, is just like things that you note from multiple times of reading. I've read this passage a lot. I've read a lot of people that have read this passage, and I want to pull out a few big picture things here. So we're talking about the marks of a Christian, the marks of the gospel in your life. And first thing I want you to note under these passage observations is every mark, or you could call it application, has gospel roots and reasons. So write that down. Every mark, every application has gospel roots and reasons. We already saw this, right? You, you can't read Romans 12. You can't just parachute in. Every, every application here is rooted in something, is grounded in something. Every application has gospel roots and gospel reasons. It's, it's, not, it's not that, hey, if you just do these things, God will be happy with you. It's, it's that this, it's that, hey, I get to do these things. I have joy to do these things because I'm in a new relationship with God because He's done everything for me in Christ. Then another quick observation to make, number two under the passage observations, um, not only does every application, every mark have gospel roots and reasons, but theology, if you read, theology can't wait to be applied. So, so when you study the Bible, it's not that there are two different kinds of people in the world. They're not these theologians that like to sit in towers and read and think deeply about God and never do anything. If you think deeply about God, if you treasure gospel truths and theology like Romans 1 through 11 shows us, you can't wait to apply. Look at how quick Paul is to get to application. He just starts rattling off application after application. That is the heart of someone that loves theology. They want to apply God's Word. Great thoughts about election promote great humility and toilet bowl duty. When you know that God has chosen you, you don't care what you get to do because you know that you deserved nothing. You didn't deserve anything at all. You deserved eternal separation from God in hell. But you get to be called to toilet duty. Sign me up. I'm ready to apply. That is someone that understands the gospel. 
Um, another one, number three, another passage observation I want you guys to have in thinking about all of these things is we aren't left alone to do these marks on our own. Okay? So, just really quickly, every, every mark has gospel roots and reasons. Theology can't wait to be applied. It will mark your life. But notice also, we aren't left alone to apply these marks. You're not left alone. It's not like God said, okay, I did all this stuff for you. Now you do it yourself. Once again, the great news of the gospel is not just that you're justified, saved from hell. It's also, hey, I don't have to be a slave of sin anymore. And, and you, you see there, verse Verses 1, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, there's that therefore there. There's all that, applica- uh, all that theology that he's packing there. Now we can be living sacrifices. And then I want you to notice, after that, after verse 2 in chapter 12, he starts talking in verse 3 about grace that is given to believers. This is not saving grace. This is the Holy Spirit empowering grace to do good work in the local church. Notice he starts talking about that. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of them, if in prophecy in proportion to your faith and service and in your serving and teaching, so on and so forth, look down a little bit further. Um, the one who contributes with generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Notice all of those acts that you do in the church are grace gifts given to you. You don't, you don't do those by yourself. They are because of God's grace to you. And if you read, if you read in Romans chapter 8, for example, you'll see it's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're not left alone to do these things. As a matter of fact, well, We'll just leave it there for that. Let's look at another observation. Uh, just a final few observations here. Number four, uh, the gospel will be quick to shape or mark, you could say. The gospel will be quick to shape your relationships. Notice in all of these things in verses 9 through 21, he's talking about relationships. If you are a Christian, it will influence your life your friendships, your relationships with your parents, your relationships with your siblings. The gospel will influence you. Matter of fact, you could say in chapter 3 through 8, he's talking about grace given for service in the local church. And in in verse 9, he starts talking about grace given to relate in the local church and even in the world. And then notice this, all of this, all of this grace to relate to other people is just a few breaths removed from gospel heights. Once again, theology can't wait to apply. Theology always applies. The theology that doesn't apply is, is short-sighted, isn't seeing that theology for what it is. Another, another observation about this passage, the gospel will influence or mark all of your relationships. Now you're like, David, I just wrote this exact point down. No, you didn't. Let me read the fourth point for you. The gospel will be quick to shape your relationships. It will instantly transform your relationships. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9 that, hey, you don't need anybody to teach you about brotherly love because when you receive the gospel, you instantly start loving other people in the church. That just happens instantaneously. But 
My point here, number five, is the gospel will influence, will mark all of your relationships. So just think about that. Who is the person in your life right now that you struggle most with to love? Write down that person's name quietly if they're sitting right next to you. Uh, The gospel will mark all of your relationships. Not just your friends, not just the people you like to be around, but your enemies, right? Verse 14, verse 17, Verse 19, verse 20, verse 21. The gospel will go everywhere in your life. The gospel, basically saying like this, if you are a Christian, the gospel will shape and transform everything. Everything. Everybody you know. So I want to give you a little illustration, and we'll return to this illustration uh, throughout the weekend. Think about it like this. You are a lake. A nice, still lake. In Minnesota, ooh. Mm. Temperate mist. You're a beautiful thing. You know, during the day, the lake is kind of blown all over by the wind. You know this sometimes. You see this sometimes in the Kern River when there is water in it. And the water kind of, the wind kind of trickles. Never mind. But like in the evening, in the evening time, when people start up the campfires around their lakes and, and the sun's going down and kind of there's this pink glow going across the lake, you can see your reflection in the water. It's like a mirror. Any of you understand what I'm talking about? I'm sorry, this is me just being teleported back, really. And the water is perfectly flat. And you'll see fishermen go out because the water is still and the fish are biting because the mosquitoes are landing on the water and the fish come up and and eat them and and the water is just like glass. And you, being that diabolical little seventh grader that you are, take a rock (laughs) and you throw it as far as you can and it makes this splash and the water kind of goes up and then what happens? The rock goes right down to the bottom. And never, curiously, the rock never stays in limbo going on its way down. It always goes right to the bottom of the lake wherever you threw it. And you'll also notice that big splash, that big initial splash, it causes ripples to go out, right? That's what, that's what the gospel essentially is. Kind of break it down a little bit. The gospel goes into your life like a rock. It hits your life. It goes deeply into your life. It affects you in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, in your affections, in what you love, in what you hate. It goes deep into your life. And it causes a splash in all of the relationships around you. And the ripples of the gospel will reach everywhere in your life. That's what the gospel does. If the gospel isn't doing that in your life, do you have the gospel with you? If it hasn't affected you deeply. Notice even as we reach, we'll we'll get here on Sunday, but in verse 14, the gospel influences difficult relationships. Now notice verse 15 and verse 16 come after verse 14. I know. This is brilliant stuff right here. Um, And verse 15 and verse 16 come before verse 17. What in the world? Notice, these relationships that are difficult to you might not be outside of the church. They may be relationships with 
so-called believers that you are struggling with. Notice Paul isn't really making a distinction between loving people in the church in 9 through 13 versus loving people outside of the church, although probably a lot of those relationships will be outside of the church. Notice verse 15 seems to be uh, people inside of the, the church, but hey, maybe these are difficult relationships nonetheless. We'll talk about that in a few days. Matter of fact, this is, this is how I would break it down. Um, verses, uh, what would you say? I would say, um, yeah, 10 through 13 is kind of active relationship marks. You actively do this. You actively do this. Uh, you, you could argue a little bit that, you know, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. That's, that's something else, but, but we'll go on. We'll, we'll, we'll cover that later. Those are active relational marks. But in, in 14 through 21, we see more of reactive relational marks. Hey, if you have been saved by Christ, the gospel will mark how you act and how you react, how you react to hardships, how you react to joy, how you react. That's, that's what we're going to look at. So, what, what's, what's our structure? You could probably look ahead and see what all my sermon titles are, but since I wrote them up really quick, they might not make a lot of, a lot of sense to you. Let me just explain it. Tomorrow morning, we're going to be just looking at one verse. We're going to be looking at Romans 12, 9. And we're going to look at the basics. The basic thing that is true of the believer. It is that rock that goes all the way to the, the, the bottom of the lake. It affects the deepest part of you. That is your heart. That is what you love. We're going to be talking about the real deal. Who is the real deal Christian? They have this internal quality about them. We're going to see that in Romans twelve nine, And then... Sunday morning, we're going to look at Romans 12, 10 through 13, and we're going to be looking at the family marks of the Christian, how you relate to other people in the church, not just people in your family, but you know that the church is a family and how you relate to them. We are called to be diligent and fervent in our service to them. And then Sunday evening, our last message together, we're going to be looking at the reactive marks. Notice every single message has more and more verses, so you can pray for me. Uh, these are the reactive marks. This is how you are patient. This is how you are patient and peaceable in discomfort. So we're going to be talking about your entire life. We're going to be talking about how the gospel impacts you in every single facet. Now, why are we studying this? Just real quick. Be patient with me for Five more minutes. Why are we talking about the marks of a Christian? Some of you may be sharp and say, you know what, I seem to remember when Pastor Steve did that Joyful Generosity series that he went through this passage. Not all of you remember that. That's okay. That's why I chose this. But he went through this passage to talk about what the marks of our church must be. And if you become a member of the church, you will, you will recite this church covenant that is based primarily in this passage. So, this is it, right here. This, Romans 12, 9-21, are the marks of what it means to be a member of Grace Bible Church. And this weekend, I want to present to you, these are the marks of what it looks like to be a part of this group, too. So, if, if you want to be at Anchored, this is, this is what we're striving for. This is what we want to be like together. 
And so this weekend, challenge yourself in your heart, how can I put on these things in this group? Now, some of you may be already members at church, and this will be great. This will be a great review for you. How can I work on these things? Some of you want to be members. You want to get baptized. You want to be a part of our church. This is a great way to examine your heart. These are the marks that our group must be. Now, if you are an unbeliever, I mean, let me just say this to you. You can't do these things on your own. Now, you're, you're free to, to be a part of our group. As a matter of fact, Anchored is one of the few groups outside of childcare and the nursery where you can freely be a member and not be a Christian. And we welcome you. We're, we're glad you are here. We want you to be here. But notice, we're on a mission. We're on a mission together that we want to uh, ground ourselves in this weekend. We are on a mission to be something because we belong to someone who is absolutely significant and he has called us by his mercy and his grace to be among his people. And we are going to strive to be these things to you. That is what we want to promise to you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for this evening. We are thankful for your grace that allows us to even wake up and come here and hear about your gospel grace um, in in these passages. I I pray for believers here that love you, that want to obey you, that that find the fact that they are called to be members in, in your world and honor and joy. I pray that they would be thrilled by the messages that they hear this week. I pray that their hearts would be stirred to put on these qualities. I pray for the unbelievers in this group that they would be stirred to realize perhaps that they are unbelievers, that they are not Christians, that they do not have those inner, true, deep realities, that they do not have those authenticating ripples that go out from their life. I pray that they would be humbled even, that they would come to saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, and be saved. I pray now for our small group time. I pray that you would bless it through your strength. I pray that you give us openness to share with one another, to be honest and to be encouraging. I pray this in your name. Amen.